pretty smart ladies. Because people have opinions. I did a weird thing, then you did a weird thing. Weird in a way that was not my weird. Well, if you have enough peanuts, it should just bring harmony, right? Everybody, get down. Get down on the ground. Get on your knees, because we need to be small. We're supposed to exercise and eat healthy food and drink water. Leave me alone. I'm not going to bed at the same time every night. Um, Everyone, Michelle used her mom voice. <laughs> I mean, and I, I don't want to compare my kid to dogs. It might be squirrel murderers, but we still like ice cream. <laughs> when will my friend die? When will my friend die? Hmm. This one's a challenge. My, both of my eyes are twitching. Hi, and welcome to Angreement with, with Michelle and Catherine. We're two lifelong friends who found ourselves unable to communicate productively as the world seemed to fall apart. So what did we do instead? We made a podcast. So the way that we're doing this podcast is that each of us, without having consulted with the other, comes in with three things, a weird thing, a pop culture thing, and a researchy thing. And then we each share them, and then we try to find a way to draw some connections between them by the end of the episode. So that's yes. sort of our goal. We are going to share six things with each other because we, like you said, we don't know and with you and just make them all fit together in a beautiful box. Hey, Michelle. How you hey, doing? Hey, Catherine. You ready I- to angry? I'm ready to angry. I am very interested in this we- the, my weird thing for the week. So much weird shit has been happening to me all the time. And then this week was pretty normal. It was a pretty, it was stressful. And I, I did a lot, but nothing weird happened. And as today inch closer and closer and closer, I was like, I don't have a weird thing. And so I forced a weird thing, which was actually wonderful. And I think maybe in and of itself, it's weird to purposefully try to do something weird for a podcast, but I was very thrilled with the outcome. So have you heard, Michelle, of something called randonauting? I have not. Yeah. Okay. So randonauting is... Not like tie a knot or like N-A-U-T? Not. Like I'm an astronaut. Not. Okay. Okay. I am an astronaut of randomness. And that's (laughs) what I did. That was my weird thing. So the idea behind randonauting, it's kind of like geocaching. And geocaching is pretty serious and pretty expensive. With geocaching, you have to like get special boxes. and But randonauting works in the same way. It's an app you can have on your phone. They have different ones. I used one called Randonautica and it tells where your location is the same as geocaching, but instead of sending you to a particular pre-chosen location chosen by another human being, it is about putting all of your energy and your um, needs and wants and thoughts out into the world as you like hit the button on the app. It says, it says like, where are you? Make sure you set your location. And then it's like, okay, set an intention. And then you hit go. And it just plots a random 
point on Google Maps and you have to go there and something will happen. And so I have been doing like, I've been trying to get outside and walk every day for like two miles. So I'm like, this is great. I can do my walk and I can be weird, very efficient. So I hit my Randonautica button and I start walking and it's about, it's like a half an hour away from where my house is. And it didn't take me anywhere too weird. I followed a pretty, a path I know, but it felt exciting. It just made my walk more exciting because I wasn't just walking to walk. I was going somewhere that the universe wanted me to be. And so I kept walking, following the map, and I got really close and it became apparent to me that the place I needed to be was inside a house. There's a huge front lawn and at the top of that lawn was a house and that was the exact spot I needed to be. And I had not thought of the possibility that maybe this random app was going to have me trespassing or breaking into people's homes. And I was so excited about it. And I'm so dedicated to this podcast that I stood there for half a second being like, I could climb that fence. What's in the house? And I, I was standing there and I was really disappointed. I'm like, I wanted the, the, the world to speak to me. And the energy I had put out there was just like happiness. And I'm like, my happiness is in that house and I'm going to give up on my happiness. And then, and then just as I was about to close the app, I went to hit close on the app. I hear this barking and a dog shoots out of the house right at me. It was the cutest dog. It came right at me and then it just let me pet it. And I pet the dog and we had a moment and then it went right back in the house. So I think it worked. And I think the thing that was meant for me was to play with a little cute dog that day. And since I couldn't go to it, the universe sent it to me. And I am totally enamored and convinced by random nodding. And I think everyone should try it, but don't like break and enter into people's homes. I'm, I'm going to give it a try. You said it's Randonautical is the app you used? Randonautica. So it's Nautica. rando, like random, and then N-A-U-T-I-C-A. Okay. I'm going to give it a try. Nautica. It's totally free. I mean, you know, there's the security issues of your phone knowing your location, but it, it does that anyway. I was going to say that that ship has sailed. Yeah. Which is funny because my weird thing, I'm already seeing a connection. I had to give up some us. cybersecurity in order to, to deal with the weird thing okay, as well. Notes for possible possible connections along the way. Cybersecurity, panopticism, no future. Okay. So my weird, was that, are, are we ready am, for my weird thing? I'm done. Okay. I had a puppy experience. That is, sounds amazing. What, what color was the puppy? It was a... I would say it was a very dirty, sandy gray. It was like a teeny mutt puppy that had like scraggly hair. It looks like the puppy, and I wish I could think of what kind it was, that my grandma had my whole life growing up, which was named Pepper Puppy. And it was like Pepper Puppy. I've seen puppy. pictures of Pepper Puppy. You know yeah. Pepper Puppy. As we have mentioned, we are when we say lifelong friends, like you've been in my grandma's house. You've been on family yep. vacations with us. You know Pepper Puppy. Yeah, Pepper Puppy ran at me. Oh, it was extra it's, special. It was very, very meant for you. 
That doesn't help our listeners. You can't Google pepper puppy, but just imagine. Imagine any puppy that is cutest puppy to you. Yeah, that's the one. That's what was there. So what is your weird cybersecurity tangential thing? My weird thing is that I'm finally going to watch Doctor Who, which is not my (gasps) weird thing. Um, But so I posted. amazing thing. I posted on Facebook to ask how to start watching Doctor Who because I've never watched any of it. And it overwhelmed me when I tried to figure out what to do because people have a opinions about opinions <laughs> how long has dr who been on it for just decades I and decades and decades i think it's like it like i mean the the reboot i think has 12 seasons so that doesn't count any of the stuff before the reboot so i don't there's a whole whole it starts lot. in black and white man and yeah from like the 60s like 64 yeah. or something so yeah. and and people have very strong opinions about like what order to watch it in and which ones are worth watching and which ones are not and that if you if you enjoyed this it's like a some sort of bizarre flowchart experience right like if you like this then start here and then do them like can you just tell me what to where to start watching so and then it gets like an enneagram thing where like who's your doctor right and i'm like i don't understand david Tennant people sorry and not to interrupt or be an agreement or talk over you but i have a very i i am very excited about this and welcome because i have a very embarrassing blog post from but it's a defunct blog on the internet and I'm never going to get rid of it that just goes on and on. I probably spent three days writing a blog post about how much I love Doctor Who, particularly one doctor, which I'll probably get into later. But I was going to say, I, I need to know which one eventually, but right now it will be meaningless to me because I have seen two episodes starting with the 2005 reboot, which is where I eventually started. But none of that Perfect is- Perfect choice. So the weird thing is, is that I subscribe to HBO. I have subscribed to HBO for a long time. So when I saw online that HBO had the exclusive streaming rights to the- rebooted rebooted version of Doctor Who, I assumed, as one might, that that meant that I had access to it. But it does not, because I subscribe to just HBO. Just what? By itself, just HBO, through Amazon. So I have it through an Amazon channel, right? Um, This is how, like, apparently, like, some 5 million people subscribe to HBO, I learned through my weird thing. Is this different than HBO Go? Yes, it is different. But HBO, so there is an HBO Go, an HBO Now, an HBO, and an HBO Max. Which is the purple one. (laughs) So It's purple and weird. I always think purple is weirdly sexual. I don't like the color (laughs) purple. And I think HBO Max is like, I always think it's a porn site. Yeah. getting a little fresh. Yeah. (laughs) What, What do you want from me, HBO Max? I'm a happily married woman. So I, I did not understand the nuances of these differences. I just knew that I was paying $15 a month for HBO and thought that that meant I should then get HBO content. I, silly me. So what an idiot. (laughs) So when I go on to my HBO channel and Dr. Who is not there, I'm like, oh, maybe that was like an old article I was reading and they don't have the rights to it anymore. And then I went back online. I'm like, no. HBO definitely has it. And so then I started to see that it was like the ads from HBO were like, Doctor Who only on HBO Max. And I'm like, okay, that must mean something. Like there, this, this is some. Uh, so, yeah. So then I start trying to figure out what is the difference between HBO and HBO Max. And so H, 
HBO is like the cable, like the cable channel that you would still get if you were subscribing to cable or had a satellite dish. And Amazon offers that through Amazon. Uh, Hulu does too. Yes, because Amazon offers TV channels. I know this because I was in a not dissimilar situation where I have Amazon Prime. I went to my Amazon Prime screen. I saw that I could watch all of shows such as The Jersey Shore and The Simple Life, and I was thrilled. But no, no, for some reason, that's like a whole other thing. And so you just cleared that up for me, that that's the world of channels on Amazon. So Amazon is also now a cable network. Right. So like, and I, I knew that part because I had, I had, I've subscribed to HBO. I got Showtime for a little while to watch something and then canceled it. So like, I, I understood that part of the concept, but I wasn't understanding like why there was this HBO that I was paying for. And then this HBO max that cost the exact same amount of what I was paying for, but was not the same thing. So they both cost $14.99 a month. And then I'm like, okay, so then what does HBO go? And what is HBO now? And so I finally, after much reading of charts and trying to figure this out, so HBO is the cable channel, but then HBO realized like, oh, streaming is important to people. So they started HBO Go as like a sidecar to for, for cable subscribers to be able to have on-demand content. Yes. But then my HBO- whole family shares an HBO Go password. And when Game of Thrones streamed, we had massive fights over who got the access using that when. Yeah. So that's why I know HBO Go. So then HBO Now was their answer to like, well, but people are cutting cords and they aren't subscribing anymore. So we need to give them an option to just pay for HBO's streaming service. Right. So that was HBO Now. Apparently HBO Go and HBO Now, I think, are both defunct as of like a couple months ago, and now they are all HBO Max. But if you had an account with either one, it was like auto-transferred over to HBO Max. So you can use then the same login the and get in. what the hell is HBO? What's left there in this desolate <laughs> wasteland you pay $15 a month for? So it has HBO's like original shows, but not the streaming content that they have bought the rights oh, to. So you can watch like Insecure. Yes. And, okay. Yes. That's worth money. But it's the same amount of money. And so I was like, well, I'll just cancel the Amazon one and pay for HBO Max because this is the same thing, but more, right? Yeah, but sounds Max, great. Right? I, couldn't... I have a feeling this is not the end of the story. <laughs> the end of the story, no. No, because that, that would just be an easy solution, right? So instead of being able to just cancel the $14.99 I'm paying on Amazon and instead pay for HBO Max... I cannot do it because Amazon is mad at HBO for doing this and they have blocked HBO's HBO Max's app on Amazon Fire Sticks, which is how I stream (laughs) to my television. (laughs) So all I want, I mean, I I didn't, I don't have a lot of spare time, right? So I'd like now time, how many, how many minutes? did this take how many doctor who episodes could i have watched could you have already seen <laughs> if i had you just been able gotten to matt smith by now which is my favorite so so i then am reading articles about how to basically like jailbreak my fire stick to get hbo max on it <gasps> so that i could then cancel my hbo amazon subscription and get my hbo max subscription and like i'm like should i do this this feels like a risky 
cybersecurity move just to get, yeah. but, but I was also just really mad at Amazon for deciding like which apps I can stream on my television. So I did do it and it worked fine. And I'm sure that the robots are listening to me, but I, they already were. So do you I have an Alexa. I mean, not in the same room. So now the robots probably have slightly broader scope. She's telling on you. Right. She's going to tell man. Right. And then so I'm, she's going to release this. Oh, no, I have a Google Home gas. Mini. I have a Google Home Mini and oh, I have okay. iPhones. So I don't have the, so we, we're probably okay, right? That's yeah. not Amazon connected. No, that's not. Fun fact, I have one of each. <laughs> I don't know how that happened in my life. And sometimes my husband and I will have fights where he will only speak to one and I will only speak to the other. And then we each tell them to turn the lights on and off in different ways. What? 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 I, I I just want to travel back to the past and be like, guess guess what life's like. Uh, people are literally burning the world down to see babies' genitals, and also you can um, you can use you can use your home robots who are spying on you for sure as surrogates in fights with your spouse <laughs> yeah to turn the lights on and off oh what are lights on and off okay let's step back <laughs> a second a let's step back oh and also they're not they're not setting things on fire because we have no other methods to know the genitals of these babies oh we have super magic machines people from the past we just choose to hide the results from ourselves for fun for a while <laughs> Aren't you so happy for us and our evolution? <sighs> okay, so you 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 hacked your fire stick. I did. And now can you watch Dr. Yes, Who? now I have an illicit <gasps> HBO Max app access through my yeah. fire stick. And I watched two episodes of Doctor Who last night. Could have been five. Could have been five, but it was two. So yeah, that that's my weird thing though, was trying to sort through the various so HBOs and the various fights be- between conglomerates in their yeah. attempt for world domination. Yeah. Well, and I like work really hard to pay for content because it's like, it's a, it's a thing for me. I want to pay you for your content, but why are you making it so difficult for me that's to give you good, money? Yeah, yeah. Let us... If, if those of you who are better, you're better than me, Michelle, at that. I mean, I, I pay for my, like, I pay for my newspapers. I don't go around paywalls for that. For some reason, when it comes to television, I'm bad. You're better than me. But if someone like Michelle is going to throw their money at you and do the research, just let them. Just, just let us, let us have. So and weird. I mean, when I say that, I, I'm still paying for HBO Max. I just had to cheat amazon to get it yeah on the, yeah so it's because that's such a stupid fight yeah it's not like you're like i'm paying for it and i right. broke my fire sticks but i don't pay. you're paying and you just want to watch doctor who which is i think that's i think that's a great a lot of people are catching up on tv right now i think it's a great one to have never watched and to get to watch i'm jealous of you that you get to watch it all afresh and anew I also found out once I got onto HBO Max that they have all of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, which is a little <gasps> exciting too. So. Nice. There are some, I think the lack of new content being made is like letting some old content breathe. Girlfriends is on Netflix. That has been very fun for me to watch. Tracy Ellis Ross does not age 
one single day and it is astounding to me. Yeah. So I cannot wait. I hope in future podcasts you will talk, you will give us Doctor Who updates. Maybe that should be a final segment. Is like it's its own little special. Where is Michelle in the Doctor Who universe? I want that. I need that. Now on to pop culture. Pop culture. I was torn this week. Last week I talked about a bad TV show. I did want to talk about a bad TV show again because <laughs> I watched so many bad TV shows and they're the love of my life. And I'm sure I will choose this show for another week. But um, books count as pop culture, right? Absolutely. Yeah, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Um, I finished reading a book called The Memory Police by Yoko Ogawa. Yoko Ogawa. Have you heard of The Memory Police? I have not. It is... I don't know when it, it's not new. I think it came out in, I'm looking at my book I got here. Last, yeah, it came out last year, came out in 2019. But it's a book, I don't want to give much away. I do just want to preface it with saying, I highly recommend this book, fully endorsed by me. I think everyone should read it. But the reason I chose it as a piece of pop culture is when I read it, I could see how it's a good book. Like, it's a very good book. I just did not find it super engaging and I couldn't engage with it. And now it's all I think about all the time. And it's not to spoil it, but this happens like on the first page, you kind of get the conceit of it. It's about a small island, a small Japanese island. The protagonist is a novelist. And for no given reason... It's a bit magical realism. It's a bit sci-fi. Things on this island disappear. And when they disappear, they disappear from people's memories. They can no longer remember them. So it's, it's a really cool conceit because people really don't remember them. They don't disappear all at once, but some force is making them eventually go away erased from people's memories but then because it's such a horrible thing to have this thing in the world that you don't remember people willingly get rid of them so if something like um this i don't want to spoil things in the book but say something like um bananas are one of the things that are disappeared everyone wakes up there's like a feeling you know something's been disappeared And then they all take their bananas and dump them in the river so that they don't have to see them anymore. And there are a few people who can still remember things that this is not happening to. And it follows a fairly like it's like a fascistic plot line where those people are troublemakers. We have to do something about them. And again, spoiling or not spoiling is not the point of this book It is beautifully written. But I just cannot stop thinking about it because I'm really worried going on several, several months in quarantine, being as self-isolated as I can. I go on my walks. I'm teaching virtually. There are things that when I see them, I would watch TV and see people holding hands or kissing and go, oh my God, that's so dangerous. 
And then I would say, oh, I missed that. And now I just have like no emotional response to it either way. And so if I have to go out into the world, I don't miss, and this could just be me. And I'm sure tons of people are going, what is wrong with you? I, there are things that I think I should miss that I don't miss. I know. I know what you're talking about. Like, I, like you, I feel like the rate at which we can adapt to something that we would have considered unacceptable is both a gift, right? Like I'm glad that I'm not just sitting around miserable about it, but also a little alarming, right? That, that, that I can adapt to what would have been unthinkable. Yeah. And that's at the crux of this book is that we can get used as human beings to anything, It's, it does. And I know that's like, it seems like a simple thing. It's not a simple thing. It's both easy and hard to grasp. And this book unpacks that in such a beautiful way to where it was performing within me, the thing it was doing in the book. Like I couldn't engage with it because I had already lost something. It was talking about the people in the book who can remember. I, I don't think I'd be one of them. And so this book wasn't gripping to me. I was one of those people that would take the book and throw it in the river. You were one of the people like, why are you causing trouble? There aren't bananas anymore. Just get There's over still it. Bananas. That scares the crap out of me. Now, I don't think like, right, I'm doing phone banking. I'm doing letter writing. I care about the election. You're doing I'm, phone, I'm doing text banking. I don't think I told you that. And it is- um, You told me someone asked to see your boobs. They did. They did ask to see my boobs, I guess, because- the text bank says, hi, my name's Michelle. So they assumed oh. I was, had boobs that they would want to see, I suppose. Um, I was like, oh, <laughs> cool. Thanks, Missouri, for representing. <laughs> I mean, how far are you going to go to get the boat out, Michelle? <laughs> really? No, I'm joking. <laughs> how committed are you? That was not part of the text banking training, I will say. So... <laughs> I really like this letter writing thing I'm doing because I did the phone banking. Phoning scares me. The letter writing is also the same thing where they have analytics, but you can just write a letter. Yeah. But anyway, I, sorry, go ahead. No, but I was just saying, I really like the text banking. I do. And it makes me now engage with the little, because I just assumed that all those texts were coming from bots, but they're not. They're people. Talk to those them. real people with real feelings and sometimes real boobs. So Sometimes, but they probably won't show them to you. Don't ask for that. It's not, it's not okay. Yeah. My point being that if like it comes down to it and a revolution comes, I will, I will be there. And that's what this book does too. I don't want to spoil again, but the character who forgets still does very brave things. She helps the people who can remember. She fights the powers that be, but what does it mean to be one of those people? And that's none of this is contained intrinsically within this book, but the way this book is just spiraling out for me and I go to bed thinking about it every night and it's so beautiful. And the fact that I can't engage with it, it's just, it's the perfect book for the moment for right now about how we can learn to live with anything. And what are the implications of that without being super moralizing and super hysterical or panicking? And I love it. I love it so much. That's the memory police. That's my pop culture. All right. I added it to my list. I'm going to, um, I, I probably, I'm looking for another book soon. So I'll, maybe I'll make that my next one. So my, my pop culture thing is not nearly that deep. Um, so I'll wait till next week. I'll make everyone feel better. 
My pop culture thing is my own unexpected sad reaction to the announcement of Cardi B filing for divorce. Love is dead. No, Michelle, Michelle, I'm with you. I'm so glad you brought this up. Oh, I saw it. And like the world today is so weird where I got it. I got like a a alert from the New York times. It's like, Oh, fascism is here to stay. The mayor of Seattle's being called a traitor because he doesn't want militarized police. There's the there's same, instructions on the CDC about vaccines that the CDC didn't put there. Like just right. right. And at the same moment, I got that news, and that's what made me straight. And that's the world we live in, right? I think it can be both, but that is the one that truly, for this week, just made me go back to bed. What what's happening? What am I even supposed so to do? So I mean. But it's interesting because I'm not much of a, like, I'm not much of a, like, reality TV fan. I didn't watch Cardi B when she was on Love and Hip Hop. I don't have some long-standing, like, investment in this relationship. And I don't usually do that with celebrities. But um, I do ghostwrite some uh, celebrity stuff. And I have had to write about Cardi B, including the comments that she's made about her relationship and um, with Offset. And so... And and these comments about like, you know, he was he was cheating on her uh, and it was right around the time that like she hadn't come out publicly that she was pregnant, but she was pregnant and that she decided to stay with him and people had all kinds of stuff to say about it. And she was like, you know, this is my life and my decision and I'm going to make my decision on my time. And and so, I mean, maybe this divorce is absolutely the right thing for both of them. And and I'm not obviously I don't know these people, but something about just like knowing her previous comments about, you know, like I'm going to make this work and this is on my terms and you don't get to have this comment about my relationship. And then knowing that not only did she file for divorce, but that it was making all these headlines and that it's happening at the same time that she's gotten attention, both positive and negative for having the smash hit of the summer. It just, I don't know. It just hit me in this really weird way that I, there's I so many layers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause you're right. She was so in control of that. I mean, that's like, that's becoming a trope, right? Like how, how do you as a celebrity woman, especially musician woman, Beyonce did it. If you are cheated on, if it is public, how do you, and you choose to stay with your husband, how do you take control of that? And so, of course, Beyonce has Lemonade, which is a whole epic thing. But Cardi B did it in this way that didn't feel like as much of a performance as, like, let me be. This is my life. And yeah, I know like, it's I'm best a for person me. and you all are being weird, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. That was it. That was it. And when she, like, revealed her pregnancy on SNL, I don't know if you saw that. It was a great moment. She had, like, two songs. And in the first song, you couldn't really tell she was pregnant. And then in the second one, she comes out in this like tight white dress and sings, be careful with me. And it was just like, that was like, yeah, I'm pregnant. This is my choice. It was a message to offset. It was a message to the world. And then he pulled up bullshit with like apologizing on stage publicly. She then said like, don't worry about it. I know, but it's not for you to worry about. Yeah, I'm with you. And the jet ski pictures. I don't think I've seen. Oh yes, 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 yes. The jet ski pictures. Yes, I know. Sometimes when I'm sad, I would go look at those pictures because that was just so romantic. Yeah, they they were just so clearly happy together, having fun on a jet ski, enjoying each other. 
I'm good. I'm that's a good piece of pop culture because it, it genuinely upset me this week. And oh, Cardi B. Moment of silence. Oh, yeah. Moment of silence. Be careful with her. <laughs> I did find a way, I think I told you, to teach WAP in my class. And I was very, very happy. Very proud that. of you. I knew you could do it. Yep. So then the last part, um, our research thing academic thing I am going straight from my own research that I've been doing right now. I am writing about an artist whose name is Alighiero Boetti, who is an Italian conceptual artist. He was born in 1940. He died in 1994. That is kind of relevant. So as far as the research goes, I've been doing a lot of research into him. He's a really cool artist. He has a lot of interesting conceptual works. And I highly encourage people to go look into him. But I don't really care about that. That's not what I'm interested in. He has a work of art. He he collaborated. He lived in Afghanistan for a long time. And he collaborated with craftswomen in Kabul who would make embroideries for him. And he has these huge embroidered maps. He has embroidered words. And the first time he was making these embroideries, he wanted to kind of do a test run to see what they would look like. And so he made a work of art that had the centenary of his birth and then the date of his death. And they embroidered it. And then they put all these flowers around it. He wasn't expecting the flowers. He loved the flowers. But this has brought me to, I'm, I'm researching him because I'm writing an exhibition catalog for artists who are inspired by him. And they didn't know about this artwork. And when I was interviewing them to write the piece, I asked them without telling them why, when do you think you're gonna die? Give me a date. If I said to you, you have to give me the date you're going to die, when is that? So this isn't, so this is related to research, but it's not like I'm going to teach you a new thing. I've just become obsessed with this. And they both answered it so differently. One of them immediately answered, boom, this is how old I'll be. The other one said, no, 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 please no. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't even ask me this question. You've cursed me with it. And just said, I just want, I want more time. All I want is more time. Um, it was really touching. They, they're they're in their 60s and they just got married and they just talked about how they want 40 more years with this woman. They know they can't have it. It became this whole, they had a breakdown because of this question. And so I wanted to put this in. And so I was thinking, okay, when, if I had to choose a date that I'm going to die, what is that date? And it didn't really bother me. I was thinking about it very analytically, like, you know, what health problems do I have? How That's old my, am I? You're like an actuarian, like doing the, yeah, running like, the numbers. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know, I think I have a lot of stress in my life. I'm already on cholesterol medication. Do you know that, Michelle? Oh, I have to take cholesterol medication. I'm very healthy. I do yoga every day. But anyway, it's genetic. So all that into account. And then I also really bugged my husband 
And I'm like, when do you think I'm going to die? And oh, that's, no. that's fun. That's a fun talk before bed, right? Oh, so I thought it was really fun. I thought it was very fun. And he was like, just stop this stuff. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. No, 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 no. Um, but he actually, then when I finally badgered him enough after weeks, not every day, but like coming back to it and saying, no, you got to help me with this. It's for my research. He brought my age down. I had an age that I would die in my head. And he was like, no, I didn't tell him. But then his date was about four years earlier. So anyway, together we have come across this age that I'm going to die. And I'm signing this essay I'm writing with that date. But he's very unhappy with it. The artists are unhappy with it. That to put that into writing is, is bringing this on yourself. And I think I also should note that the artist who um, estimated when they were going to die was way off and died really young. And it was off by about almost 30 years. He thought he had 30 more years than he actually had with this guesstimation. And so that's just something I want to ask to everyone I meet now. And I don't think that maybe that is because I have been, you know, at home more in the past six months, seven months than I ever have been. I'm not interacting with people face to face. And so now when I see people, I say, I ask them when, when, if I, if I made you set a date, when are you dying? So Michelle, and I do say you don't have to answer it, but I'm curious about how you would answer this. When, yeah, when are I, you going to die? I'm much like you that I don't really have, like, I, I just started doing it. I'm like, okay, well, you know, like my, my dad died at this age and <laughs> my grandparents died at these ages. So, but I, you know, they smoked and I don't. So probably, you know, like I just started kind of doing the like, yeah, so I, like, let's see. Um, oh, I love it. Cause you're like, oh, you're not going to say, oh, I'm one of those people. You're like, nope. Yeah. Now I got to do the I'm date. Figure out the number. I'm figuring yeah. out the number. Yeah. So like, when will Michelle die? When will my friend <laughs> die? When will my friend die? Do the math. Do the math. So maybe like twenty sixty six. I think that's really a good bet. You're you're two years younger than me. Yeah, I was born in eighty five. I'm thirty five. One, one year younger than me. One year and some months. Yeah. So that puts you at, what does that put you at? I can't do math. That would be like, we can cut this part out. We can can pretend like we can't do math. Well, if I was born in 85, then I would be in, in 2070, I would be 85. So four years before that, we like 81. 81. So 81, 20. What was it? 2066? 2066. 2066 has a beautiful ring to it as well. I really like that. Yeah, I'm not. But Michelle, that's not where it ends. We oh, need a okay. full date. Oh, a full date. Um, <laughs> whew, I don't know. August 9th, 2066. August 9th, 2060. I'm going to actually write this down. <laughs> August 9th, 2066. Mine was September 21st, 2054. Oh, that's a lot earlier than 2066. I don't know if I'm okay with that. I know. You're going to have to go on for a good 12 years. How will I continue to make this podcast? 
I mean, I'm sure technology <laughs> will have me up in the cloud and you yeah, can have an AI. Be able to like all if we're type doing in podcasts for decades more, then just feed all the other podcasts into a neural network. And, and have it just like, like spit, spit three things out and it'll be, yeah, like a, like a mad lib, basically. My weird thing is heaven. <laughs> <laughs> um, What's up with that? Yeah. No, I really, really thought about the month. It was harder for me to choose the month and the day than it was the year. Yeah. I, yeah, I feel like that was more random to me than the year. I mean, death is random, man. Sure. My reason was, and again, my I, I'm gonna shut. I'm gonna say my husband knocked my lifespan off by four years. That um, I have a. He, he said it was because of I carry a lot of stress. He thinks I'm gonna die. My heart's just gonna give out. Um, but I am really good at if I'm in pain. Or if I'm going to get sick, I am very good at not allowing myself to feel that or get sick until I am ready. So if I have a lot of work to do, if I'm really busy at my job. You won't die. I, I won't die. We'll get to that. I won't die ever. No, um, I won't. Even if I know I'm like, oh, I'm getting sick, I just push it down. And this probably sounds insane. And some doctor is going to be like, no, here's the reason why. But I push it down and ignore it until like the job is done or the weekend comes. And then I just like fall into bed and I'm super extra sick as if I just like held it all until I could be ready for it. And I do the same thing with pain. I broke my nose and didn't know it uh, last January. So my thought process was that I can control what month, not what year, but I can have some say in what month I die in. And so it's the very thing of like, well, I don't want it to be too close to Christmas or the holidays because I don't want you to make, to make everybody sad. sad. That's very considerate. Yeah. And then I don't want it to be like right by my birthday. That's cliche. No thanks. And then I didn't want it to be by my husband's birthday. I wanted to live until he had a birthday and die after. So I didn't ruin his birthday. So that's why I chose September. It's, okay. it's far enough out from like Thanksgiving and all the Christmas winter holidays that people will be like, oh, now we can just, we miss her, but it's okay. What I, is your research this week? So my research, I'm actually going to share my screen so I can show you this. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. So I listened to a podcast called um, Off Trail Learning. And this individual, Alexander Coast, he was a guest on Off Trail Learning talking about this blog post that he had written, the self-directed education is a political act blog post. And I, in general, I really enjoyed the conversation. I highly recommend the podcast, um, both this particular episode and the podcast as a whole. Um, I am a homeschooling parent who has kind of been in different parts of this sort of radical rethinking of what education should be. And I'm also an educator myself. So like they're, they're talking my language, they're talking about things that interest me. But um, in particular, he w- he had this image, which is what I'm going to scroll down to for you to see now, where he had sort of categorized different types of school systems in this um, chart. So I'm going to describe it a little bit for the listeners. So it's two charts of concentric circles and there's um five circles on the top and five circles on the bottom and the top is labeled fear-based models and the bottom is labeled trust-based models and then the circles go 
on the top from left to right, conservatism, authoritarian, moderatism, permissiveness, and liberalism. And on the bottom, the trust-based models, libertarianism, autonomy, anarchism, mutual aid, and socialism. And then he has placed all of these different kinds of schools in uh, along the spectrum on each of these charts. So like at the top for fear-based models under conservatism, the most conservative fear-based model is a military school, whereas the most liberal fear-based model is a democratic school. And then down in the trust-based models, the most libertarian is a Sudbury school, and the most socialism is the most socialism. The most socialist <laughs> is a uh, communal unschooler. And so um, I was listening to him talk about this, and I, you know, and he he admitted that like this wasn't set in stone. And that he's just kind of trying to get some frameworks in order to have conversations because he really just wants to talk about how enacting education decisions within our own individual lives, like for our own children, is political in a way that we don't always think about, right? That like we are we are kind of creating political models for how we think the world should be run kind of on the micro scale with what we're doing with our own children and yeah, our own decisions. Yeah, the system we put them in teaches them a lot in and of itself. Exactly. And so um, I was just, I was really, sorry to interrupt. What is, I don't know, what is a Sudbury school? So a Sudbury school, I actually read a book. um, It's called Free to Learn by Peter Gray. And it studied these Sudbury schools. The Sudbury schools are, um, I'm probably going to get this wrong. If somebody's listening to this, please don't come yell at me. Pepper. I would love it if a Sudbury school expert is listening because it means someone's listening. So yeah, <laughs> let's start a fight with them. <laughs> I mean, and, and it makes sense to me that he put it here as a trust-based model, but extremely libertarian because the, and this actually gets into the part that, that I really want to talk about for this. So it's a perfect question because it leads right into the, the, the heart of my research-based thing that I want to bring up. So the Sudbury schools are basically schools that do not have a set curriculum and individual students are invited to spend their time however they would like. And the Sudbury schools have lots of different resources available. So like in the book, we read how like kids would just totally follow their passions and interests, but the the long-term research bore out that these, these kids went on to do pretty fulfilling, successful careers like they they found the things that they like one of them was even like it got a little uh gruesome like there was a kid who loved like finding dead animals and stuff but that kid actually ended up like having an interest in mortuary science and like followed that through into their adult life and they were allowed to explore that and so there are adults present at the Sudbury schools but they're not making any decisions for the kids they're just kind of there as a resource to answer questions or um offer mentorship some of the ones that I've read about will allow students to kind of craft um, a proposal for what it would mean to get credit for a particular class and then bring that up to, uh, they have to like negotiate it together and then, and then meet the standards that they've set for themselves. But Sudbury schools are very individual in that way, right? Like mm, it, it's very yeah. much about following your passions. And that's why it's here on the libertarian model of those trust-based models. And where, your passions lead lead you. Yes. Gotcha. Whereas like the, um, some of these more socialism based or even the liberalism based ones in the fear-based model 
are very about like, we have to make decisions for the good of the group, right? Like you are, you are a part of this community and the community has to make a decision. So I think it was a free school that he was talking about. And he was like, these, these kids, they had to come up with kind of basically like create their own governance system within their school. And so like, there were some kids like one group of them had bullied another group of them and everybody was kind of arguing. And so they were trying to figure it out. And the kids who were not involved were part of the discussion for how to fix it. And the solution wasn't some punishment. It was that the two groups that were fighting had to bake and eat a cake together. Like that was the, that was the like outcome that they came up with as, as a group, right? That they had to communicate together and work together and create this cake together and then eat the cake but together. And they got to eat cake. <laughs> so it's not a punishment. It's like, oh, that's amazing. And so, um, but I really think that it hits on this because I have spent a lot of time thinking about crises in the education world. And I put that in scare quotes because we're constantly, like there's never been a time in educational history where we weren't saying that it was a crisis of some kind, right? Like, I mean, you can go back to, you know, Aristotelian stuff and that's not very technical. (laughs) You are a rhetorician trained in rhetoric and you just said Aristotelian (laughs) stuff. (laughs) You, You can go back to Aristotle talking about mentorship and education and it's still like there's a crisis right like just we've always thought that educating other people was a crisis and so um I've spent a lot of time thinking about like well what really are the crisis points and what maybe isn't and where you know just yeah and and so one of the things that this discussion that um this author was putting forward that really made me think about it was if you grant that people on different ends of the spectrum have the same ultimate goal, which I know right now we're in a very politically torn time. It's hard to grant that for one another. But if we grant that everybody who is trying in good faith to create a good education system wants happy and fulfilled individuals to come out of that and participate in a happy and fulfilled collective, right? Like, I think that that's sort of our shared goal is that we want yeah. to create people who are excited about what they're doing to go out into a collective where they have a place within a fulfilled society as a whole. And so I think that the people on the left side of this model, the more libertarian side of this model, feel like if they start with an individual and all of the individuals are happy and fulfilled, that mm. by extension, they will create a happy and fulfilled society because if all of the individuals are, then what else could happen, right? I'm Whereas, making a face right now. I'm pulling a face like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> Whereas I think the what people- What could go wrong if we uh, read Nietzsche? No, sorry, go on. On the other end of that model, feel like you can't have any individual happiness and fulfillment Mm. as long as there is still some oppression within the group so that you have to start with the group. And I, as maybe this is just from my training as an agonistic rhetorician, believe that you have to oscillate between the two. Like that any any effective educational system is going to have to bounce uncomfortably back and forth between these are your individual wants and desires. How do you fulfill them? These are the collective wants and desires. How do you fulfill them? And that our work as educators is not trying to create some system in which one or the other is privileged, but to create pathways in which 
the students can learn to move between those viewpoints. Yeah. It's like, how do you, that, that whole argument of individuation versus the collective, I've never thought about it within the educational system, that how do you, at that stage, help young people understand what it is to be an individual, and, but understand what it is to be part of a collective? And I feel like, especially when we're talking about very young children, that sometimes we just, like, if we dive too far into being part of a collective, they just don't have a a, a place to understand that from, right? Because, like, yeah. you have to have some sense. I mean, I just, in some cases, I just feel like it's a developmental thing, right? Like, you, right. you develop a sense of self before you develop a sense of other, and it would make sense that you would develop an understanding of fulfillment for the self before you would understand a sense of fulfillment for others. Yeah. And if you skip that step and you don't nurture that sense of self, where does that lead? But then, yeah, if you're, if you're having them say, oh, just just go, always go where your passion takes you. And that's, I mean, go where your passion takes you. You know what I'm saying? But if that is without thinking about the other, that's so interesting. So what's right there in the center? Agile Um, learning centers. So agile learning centers are actually, I think that is the thing, I I might be getting this wrong, but I think that is the thing that the host of the podcast is a proponent of and works within. Um, And I don't know that much about those. So I, I I can look it up real quick and we can at least read a definition of it. It just says that it is a, it restores the joy of learning with a surprisingly effective educational approach Intentional culture supporting self-directed learning reinforced by agile management tools. Agile management tools. We use practical and concrete tools to make these lofty sounding ideals real and reliable. These tools and practices provide visible feedback, effective self-management, clarity of purpose, and easy integration of new patterns as needs change. I think even the language of this, where I still don't know what this is, illustrates how hard education is. Well, and I feel like, and this is not a knock on any of these systems of learning that were on this chart. And I, um, as a homeschooling parent and as an educator myself, I have been kind of criticized at times for not really having I found it like I just kind of dip in and out and I'm like, yeah, that looks good. I'll take that. And oh, that's not working. I'm not taking that. Like I just sort of borrow from all over and mix them together. Um, I think eclectic is the, is the word that best describes my educational style in that way, because I just feel like nothing is stable enough to have one system in which yeah, you educate. Nothing. I mean, the Let children, a child right? in I the mean, world. I was listening today to a podcast <laughs> There's a new Netflix show called The Home Edit. I have not seen it. Oh, I want to watch it. I know, I'm excited. Um, but the the people who do The Home Edit were talking and they were like, well, how do we... They were talking about their new book and they're like, it's such a great book because there is no one way to organize your house. That would be... You would be a maniac to think we can give you a one-size-fits-all way of organizing your junk drawer. You have to organize your junk drawer and your home around the way you live. And yet, and that's- You have to figure out your own junk. Go to the (laughs) container store. Look at all those. There are so many different things and so many different 
sizes of plastics and other materials to put different things in. So why can we do that with outdated gift certificates and pens, but not human children? And like, it's just, I mean, I think about, um, like I am in a lot of parenting groups on social media and I think people just want, and I understand it. They just want a set of answers that they can turn to anytime they have a question because these decisions feel so big and feel so meaningful. And you just want to know like, okay, I have a question. Let me turn to the rules and find the answer. It's exciting. (laughs) It's exciting to find 10 different containers for your pen it's horrific to know there's that many options for your child. Exactly. And then if you get the wrong one, you could be ruining them for life, right? That's what we all have in the back of our minds. And so like, you just want to be able to turn and say like, oh, these are the proper toys that a child should be playing with at this age. And a lot of these systems do that, right? They say like, these are the tools that a child should have at this age and this age, but they disagree among themselves about what those look like. And I'm like, what kids are going to play with what, like, if you don't give them these tools, they're going to go create them out of rocks and sticks, which there are entire education systems that say you should only use the rocks and sticks they find in Is the backyard, like right? Is that like paleo education? <laughs> we only play and teach with what the cavemen play to teach with. I mean, but that becomes more relevant. I think I think um, there's such a big push from people in my lives, which includes you, which include my brother, that we have got to start learning and relearning like life skills along the lines of not not out and out survivalist skills but there are some skills that are have been ignored by educational systems for a long time not to make fun of our new paleo education system but like how in how what is education in the world what do you need to teach your kids right now and is it what it's always been yeah because we don't know what the future looks like and not Kids, I have two kids who could not be more different in the way that they interact with the world. Like they're so different. They're they're so deeply different. They're both amazing kids and I love them to pieces, but they I just what what works for my oldest, I am 100 percent certain all the things I've learned with her are not gonna do me one bit of good with my youngest. Like they're just they're just not. And so I like I have two kids. And that's obvious. So I think that it's just the height of hubris to think that you could find a system that just works for kids, period. Yeah. I have two kids that have the same parents, raised in the same household, speak the same language, have the same cultural touchstones, and they are that different. So like to think that you could create a system that is going to work for everyone is just, I mean, it just isn't true. And so I, I feel like a lot of these attempts to find the answer, I understand where they're coming from. And I think that these might all be meaningful answers to have in the world, but then how in the world do we get kids placed where they need to be without, I mean, I just. All the trial and error, right? (laughs) Which is Trial and error is maddening. I know you've been through it. It's not okay. And there's a countdown clock before there's like an age, right? There's an age where now your kid is going to hate education if they're not getting what they need from the system. I mean, and I I don't want to compare my kid to dogs, but I guess that's about what I'm- (laughs) I'm comparing your children to pens. So that's a step up. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, there's this, I mean, there's this discussion of like how puppies have to be socialized during a particular window of their development, or they will never like not have fear surrounding the things that they weren't introduced to during their window of socialization. And like, so there's just this idea of like our cognitive development changes over time. And I'm not saying that we have the same cognitive development as dogs, but I do think that there's like a window in our human development where we are more likely to be able to find a system that fits well with us. And then yeah. missing that window does feel like a pressure on at least me as a parent, right? It's like, oh, I've got to figure this out before what, before third grade, before fourth grade, like that feels like a, a kind of cutoff of some kind. Yeah. Before school is bad, learning is bad. I'm done. What's the answer, Michelle? No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> of course maybe, I'm joking. Maybe next week. <laughs> okay. Okay. We'll think on that and then we can, yeah. I mean, I think the answer is very much contained in that chart. Like you said, that I think the answer, you hold a lot of it and that you are dipping in and out, but it's it's a very specific position to be able to homeschool and to be able to yeah to yeah. to know you're also an educator you are a trained educator who is having trouble figuring this out so man yeah another moment of silence one for Cardi this B is, one for the education system yeah oh, <laughs> oh poor <laughs> Okay. I mean, on that note that we cannot only unite everything with moments of silence. (laughs) What do they have in common? They all deserve a reflective pause. Everything deserves, yeah, that. So should we try to, should we try to? All right. All right. So we have... We have Nautica. Random Nautica. We have um all the HBO's. HBO, 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 <laughs> HBO Infinity. We have the Memory Police. Cardi B. Cardi B. When are you gonna, gonna die? die? Conceptual Italian art. Oh gosh, this one is hard. <laughs> and the educational, different educational systems and the problem with those. And how they fit into a political spectrum. Okay. Well. This one's a challenge. Okay, so I let's start. Hmm. Oh, Michel Foucault, the theorist, has united everything. Done. Okay. Not, and no, I will not explain or or have follow ups. Look, look it up. <laughs> Done. No joking, but um, I don't want to get overly analytical. But there's definitely he has this concept of the panopticon, which is just that if it's it's based on a prison system somebody named Jeremy Bentham designed a prison system that has a singular tower within it you know this um a singular, we all know Jeremy Bentham's prison singular tower that from that tower you can see all of the prison cells but the prisoners in the prison cells can't see the tower and so the idea is that you don't even need a guard and the prisoners will not know if there's a guard or not. And so they will self-govern and act as if they are being watched. And that's kind of this very oversimplified idea of panopticism. And so I feel like that could somehow fit in with our technology. 
And then Michel Foucault also talks about um, his whole, what another whole thing about him is that we just go into these structures from birth to death, these, these, um, just these, these systems of power and it is hospital, school, prison. Those are like the big ones. But now that I say that, I feel like that doesn't get us anywhere except no, that he would think, say school is inherently a prison. Well, and and any, I think that the people discussing on this podcast would agree. So maybe we go with that theme that you are imprisoned. The school system, according to Michelle Foucault and many other smart people, any one system, the way it traditionally is, is inherently a prison. You are imprisoned by your own technologies. So you had to break out of them and you broke your fire stick and Cardi B broke out of her marriage. I, I'm, I'm failing. Your turn. <laughs> you take a step. <laughs> All right. We're getting, I think we're getting close though. Okay. So you, your question about when will you die is ultimately a question of what, how much time do you have left with your life and how are you going to spend it? Right. Like, I think that that's what causes the breakdown, at least for some of the people who or who don't want to answer it is the like the sense of like oh well that's not enough time however much time that is that that's not enough and so the artist gave the response of it's just more the answer is just more time when will I die not now let me negotiate so more time and I think that that same kind of pressure of like it's not enough time that comes into that educational decision too right because if we had an infinite amount of time to figure it out I I feel like I'm, I, I'm, I can get some of these, but I feel like it's going to get harder. You've got it. You've got it. Okay. Because if we had an infinite amount of time to figure it out, like you said, we, we already talked about it, that pressure of if I don't, if I don't get my kid in the right place by third grade, they will hate learning and they will fail at life. So right. There's not enough time. There's not enough time. Before I can't I trial and error all of it. I can't, I got to make some decisions. Some other things are ultimately off the table just because I didn't have time to get to them. And I will never know if they were the perfect answer or not. And we I also feel can't like, trial and error with the dates of our death. Like we won't know if we're right. right or maybe we will. I mean, I don't know. So not enough time. We can't do trial and error. Um, and that's kind of, I'm going to, this might be a stretch, but that's kind of the answer that Cardi B gave when people were questioning her marriage yes. before. She was like, this is, this is my life and I'm going to live it on my terms the way that I want to. Right. Okay. So we got, we got those. So you um, need the, to give me time. Then the memory police, memory, the the fear, there is a fear in that about something's going to run out, that we can only, we can only forget so much before we run out of time. That's kind of this fear in this book. Like when, when will it be too much? When will we run out of time? And at some point, couldn't you forget everything? Is it, is that the, that's kind of the fear. They're like, they're like, how far is this going to go? Yeah. Okay. So Running out of time, that works for that. Um, my rando nodding, I did, oh, I did that because I ran out of time to find something weird. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't have so enough were... time, so I just forced it. Not and enough time. my HBO thing was all about a time lord. Bam, done. done. So the theme of the week, everyone, is 
not having enough time and the existential dread and terror, but also the joy and entertainment that that can bring. The end. Oh, we're so good. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry I rambled about Foucault before we got there, but... No, I think that was... It, it certainly connected, like, the latter half, I feel. No, it, it connected the beginning and the end. We just needed to... Yeah, back but I like that. Yeah. Big, big rainbow running out of time. That's this week's theme. Yep. Ding. There we go. Well, what'll it be next week? I'm very excited, and I will see you then next episode we haven't timed it out we'll see we're we're running out of time on figuring we're running, out all exactly. of these details for oh our- no oh god <laughs> oh god goodbye everyone we have to go we need more time ah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. are we done <laughs>